Starting to use the men's rooms gave me a whole new perspective on being male in America. First of all, they were disgusting in every way imaginable. In women's restrooms, there was the occasional hoverer, the woman who didn't trust sitting on the toilet seat, lest it was dirty in an invisible, germ-infested way, and thus would squat over it and spatter her urine on it, ironically, and for the rest of us, frustratingly, making it much dirtier than when she'd found it. And hoverers never dried up the seat after doing their business, because this would break their cardinal rule not to touch the toilet. But the gross habits of hoverers aside, women had nothing on men's public facilities. The urinals, I was surprised to find, were not the dirtiest parts of the space. The first stall was. I wondered if there was an underground community that intentionally destroyed the stalls closest to the door and then posted pictures on the web. I had a problem using any restroom facility, actually. Women chased me out of women's rooms. Men glowered at me for looking too effeminate. Or female. I tried to gauge how I was being perceived at any given moment so I could identify which room I should use. But my days were now filled with a nearly even mix of ma'am and sir, so I wound up avoiding them altogether. That's not healthy, Lori told me over lunch one day. You can get a UTI that way. I know, but I don't have another choice right now. That sucks, she said, mulling her experience in restrooms as she slowly chewed a chicken salad sub. We were back at the Korean-run deli near her work. I got yelled at by an old lady last week. I threatened to show her my tits and she shut up. How clever of you, I said laughing. Well, I thought so, she said smiling as she ate. The week in Michigan gave me a reality check about D.C., what I was achieving in the city and what I wanted out of my life, then and in the immediate future. D.C. was a fairly high-stress, high-energy place that instead of being a bastion of activism, was more about backdoor small politics and rampant materialism. Thinking about the topics of conversation I'd had at parties, with queer and straight people, filled with non-profit staff, lobbyists, lawyers, academics, IT professionals, and data cruncher types, it broke out something like, the house I bought, the house I'm remodeling, the vacation I just took, am about to take, the insert luxury item here I bought, the promotion I just got, the insert random legislator's name here I talked to today, random political issue, the weather in D.C. and how it sucks the big one. Traveling to another city was, at the very least, a break from that. Whether people saw me as male or female varied the whole time I was away but I supposed it did at home, too. I'd figured out that it was less about what I was doing, wearing, or saying than about the reference point of the person perceiving me, but it was a little taxing to be mammed on one street and get the man nod on the next. I reminded myself that none of us have any control, really, over how others read us. I made my attempt at the unscientific data gathering, but in this transition, so far... I'd met a variety of people and their responses. I figured D.C. was a better place than many to transition, in that it had doctors who knew what transsexual meant, as well as other resources. But it still felt like a small town sometimes. 
It was never more provincial than when I'd heard from acquaintances that Pat had told them I'd forced him to be trans because I'd wanted to do it myself all along. I got hot under the collar whenever that got back to me, but I tried not to respond to something so ludicrous, which would only give it merit. On one sunny evening, I was having a beer and hamburger at a tavern in Eastern Market, near where I lived. I looked up as someone called my name, Everett. It was a woman I'd met through Pat, now several years ago.